Um, hello, I know some of you, but I don't know all of you, so it's good to be with you this morning, and hello especially to the homies online. What is up, my dudes? Um, so I thought that it would be good to introduce myself, but also to kind of, you know, apply for this job a little bit. So I brought my CV along, and if all goes well, the clicker will work. Behold, yes, excellent. All right, so we're going to go through a few things just so you can get to know me, I can get to know you all good. Uh, my relevant experience to this preaching position, in 2006, I graduated from Kids Church, very important qualification on there. Um, in 2009, I attended an Easter camp and only cried a little bit. Uh, you are welcome to think that that was the Holy Spirit moving powerfully upon me in a time of worship. You are also welcome to think that that was a paintball moving powerfully on me in paintball. Um, both are true. Uh, in 2013, I got a girlfriend, woo-hoo, um, and like any 17-year-old at the time, she told me she liked me, and I said nothing for a whole month, um, and we're married now, so <laughs> take that on board if you will. Uh, in 2017, Victoria University of Wellington gave me a qualification that means I can say, trust me, I'm an engineer. The rest of you cannot say that unless you have a Bachelor of Engineering. Thank you very much. And uh, the more important stuff is that actually in 2018, I interned at the Street Church, uh, not in preaching though, on on the worship team. Uh, And in 2019, I've done a couple of sermons at a youth group. So this isn't my first rodeo. But really, the important qualification that I want to share with you is that from 1999 onwards, I have been a follower of Jesus like many of you. Um, And so if you are willing to hire me to speak to you this morning, uh, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, would you clap to just approve, all right? One, two, three. Ah, thank you very much. Okay. That would go poorly if you didn't clap, and then they'd have to, like, redo the slide and all that. So, so, So this is good. This is good. Well done. Right, so we are in our summer series, Songs for Summer, and today we're going to open Psalm 72. If you have a Bible, it will make a lot more sense if you read along with me, but the slides will be on the slides and all good things like that. And so just to frame this uh, while you guys are finding it, uh, it starts off by saying that this psalm uh, is of Solomon. So that could mean that it's written by Solomon, or there's kind of a clue at the end that we'll come to. Uh, that points that maybe this psalm was written by David for his son Solomon um, on his coronation. So we can imagine, if you will, a great crowd at Solomon's coronation. He's there getting his crown, um, and there's a bunch of officials around, and there's a choir, and because psalms are songs, this is what they sing. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out and the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. 
Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And here's this little clue. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Um, We praise you this morning as you alone do marvelous deeds. Um, And Holy Spirit, Spirit, we pray that you would come and speak to us now. Um, Father, may your words be the ones that stick in our hearts and minds this morning. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, uh, it's a bit weird at the end to say that this concludes the Psalms of David, because there are actually 18 more Psalms later in in the book um, that have David's name on them. So, to understand this, I want to look a little bit at the whole structure of Psalms. So, Uh, Psalms is a lot like a compilation album. Uh, You can see there are 150 huge hits on the Psalms CD in a five-CD collection. Um, And there's tons of people that have written them. David, uh, his son Solomon. There's some attributed to Moses, who lived way before David and Solomon. And a guy called Asaph wrote a bunch of them as well. So, uh, each section in the five CDs ends with a little phrase, something like, praise the Lord forever, amen and amen. And for us, in verse 17 and 18, that kind of fulfills this for the end of this second CD in the book of Psalms. Uh, And so this little note that this concludes David's Psalms, it points to that this is the end of this book, and there were three other books that were compiled later on. So, what I really want to point out as as we look into this psalm, is that this is at a very pivotal point in the whole collection of psalms. It's at the end of the second book, but it's also roughly in the middle. We're at 72 out of 150. And at this point, the psalms, they go from mostly sad, songs of lament, to mostly happy, songs of praise. And this is a key point in the whole book, because When we read this, we read that it's about Solomon, what it's like to live under just rule, a ruler with justice, this is all good things. But it's a little bit hard to ignore that this could also very easily be attributed to Jesus. And what will it be like to live in Jesus' kingdom? I don't know what the next slide is, so I hope this goes well. Nope, we don't want that yet. (laughs) So, What we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the more important prophecies about Jesus through the Old Testament, and we can see how they map onto Psalm 72. So here we go. Isaiah 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. What this means is that the Messiah, the coming king that the Jews were looking for, will be descended from Jesse, from David's father. And in the New Testament, we see a genealogy of Jesse, David, Solomon, I'm thinking of a couple, and then Jesus. So this is talking about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. 
And what do we just read in Psalm 72? Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. Stunning. Justice, judgment, righteousness. This is all that we were reading in our psalm about Solomon, um, but in the context of a future coming king, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Here's some more, and I've had to selectively cut this to fit it on the slide. Isaiah 60, Isaiah speaks to us again. Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are sh- the ships of Tarshish bringing their silver and gold. And what do we just read? May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. Later in Isaiah, the glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the fir, and the cypress together to adorn my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place for my feet. Back in our psalm, may grain abound throughout the land, on the tops of the hills may it sway, may the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. And here's the kicker, one more. Zechariah 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do we remember Jesus' triumphal entry, coming into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, Hosanna, all that kind of stuff? Right after that, in Zechariah, he will proclaim peace to the nations, his rule will extend from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. And in our psalm, may he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? Man, Uh, people might say, hey, the prophets, they knew about these psalms. And that's true. So maybe they're just riffing off it. Someone with more faith, on the other hand, they might say that, hey, God wrote the Bible. And so it makes total sense for the one author to be using the same language all the way through. In either case, um, we can see that these same turns of phrase, but recontextualized, that rather than about Solomon or a king being coronated, they they can be put about a coming king, the Messiah. And we read these promises here that this coming king, his rule will be one characterized by justice and righteousness. And that didn't happen under Solomon's rule. Yeah, he started out all good and he built the temple, um, but it didn't last very long because in the later stages of his life, he turned away from God. He built other altars to other gods as well. And right afterwards, his king, he lived, he died, his kingdom was immediately divided and split in two. But Jesus' kingdom, it, does, it hasn't ended yet. Um, Jesus' kingdom is one of souls on the inside. The kingdom of God is here living in us. And we read that at the end of the Bible that it won't end, but it will be transformed from one on the inside to one on the outside. When our King Jesus comes back, He's coming back. And so what would it be like to live in a kingdom characterized by justice and righteousness? And this passage says it's going to be good, and it says there's going to be food. Uh, and the subjects of this kingdom will be rescued from oppression and violence. And so I'd like to take a little glimpse at what Jesus' kingdom looks like and what it looked like the first time he came to earth. Um, So let's talk about Jesus. I'm going to share this with you using the medium of 
felt board. Did any of you guys have felt boards back in Sunday school? They like sort of had, they stuck to each other. It's good. So if you were to, if your brain is off from all the words that were on the screen, switch back on. There's pictures coming and kids, this is going to be good as well. Um, so I'm going to paraphrase Mark 6, 30 to 44 for you. Um, if you'd like to read it along, that'd be great because God's words are going to be better than mine. In any case, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and he says, guys, we need to go on a retreat. I'm tired, you're tired, pack up, let's go to a quiet place, just me and the 12 of you, and, and let's go on a retreat. Let's get some rest. So they jump in a boat, and they head across the lake, um, and they head to a lonely spot that Jesus knows. Uh, but the people, they see him leaving, and they're like, oh man, Jesus is going to be over there. So they run around the lake to get there. Uh, and so when they arrive, when they put in, there's this huge crowd of people there, and Jesus is looking for rest. He's looking to get away from these guys, but they're hanging out. And it says that Jesus, he's tired, he's worn out. It says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he decides he's going to bring them all on his retreat and he starts to teach them. And at the end of the day, the disciples, they come to Jesus and they're like, hey man, um, there's like no food here. So if you could just tell everyone to leave and then they'll go find some food and that'll be all good Um, because they're going to starve, you know. Uh, and Jesus, he does something unexpected. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, nah, that makes sense. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. No, no, no. What he says is, you give them something to eat. And they say, uh, Jesus, I don't think this is going to work out. Um, look, we've got five loaves and two fish. So there's like 5,000 dudes here. So we could maybe like cut all the buns up into 1,000 pieces each. Like it's just, it's the, the numbers aren't working out for me here, Jesus. But Jesus, he gets everyone to sit down in groups for dinner. And so by faith, he gets them to sit down. And he takes the loaves and the fish, and he says grace. And it must have been a really good grace prayer, because he then gives out the loaves, and he keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. And there's even leftovers, more than what they started with. 5,000 dudes, plus some women and kids, and they've all had enough to eat, and there's leftovers. And didn't we just read in our psalm about grain abounding throughout the land? And didn't we read about people's blood being precious in Jesus' sight? Because Jesus cares about the people that are there that have come to see Him. He's tired. He's worn out. He's looking for rest. All His disciples are in the same state. That's what He says. Um, But He has compassion on these people. These people's need for the kingdom of God was more important to Jesus than his own well-being at this point, because these people are precious to him. Did you know that you're precious to him? Did you know that when it says he will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight, he's talking to you? I'm talking to you specifically, not the person next to you, but but you. Um, that, That Jesus cares, he cares deeply. And so how should we, the people of God, respond to that, to that great love, to knowing that each person's life is precious to our Father in heaven? How do we respond when we hear that God's kingdom of justice is just not present in our world, when we hear about children going hungry or people being bound up in debt? How do we respond to that? You know, in this passage, it says that God will deliver the needy who cry out, and He will take pity on the weak and save the needy from death. And so we've got to care too, right? The people that we meet, they're precious to God, and so they've got to be precious to us. And so I want to look at what would it look like to care for them. And I'd like to propose a few ways 
that we can care for the people that we meet and for unjust situations that we hear about overseas, um, which are outside our immediate context. How do we care for people? So number one, this won't be a surprise, care. Uh, There's always an excuse not to care, you know. Um, Jesus, when feeding these 5,000 people, he'd just heard that his cousin had been murdered in prison, and he's tired, his disciples haven't had a break either. They are looking for rest, but he doesn't find any. And you know why? Because he cares, because he cares about these people. And so, uh, look, I'm not encouraging you to go and burn yourself out to the point of exhaustion to, to serve God, to care for people. Jesus was looking for rest, and maybe you need to look for rest too. But Also, if you imagine yourself normally, you're at lunch, you're talking to someone at work, and they're like, ah, my mom's in hospital, and I've been having back pain, and I'm not sure what I'm having for dinner tonight, and, you know, we might have to sell the house, interest rates are going up. Like, God cares deeply about these people, and so I'd encourage you to care as well. It's very easy to end up in a pattern of thinking in those kind of situations of like, oh man, if only they'd budgeted better you know, maybe they'd be fine. There's always a reason not to care, but I'd encourage you to care. God cares. So, be empathetic in your responses. We can care too. Number two, how can we care for people? We can pray. It costs us nothing to pray, and if we believe that God cares for people, then praying is the thing that we can do that will actually affect the most change, more than anything we can do on our own. And so, yeah, as we read Psalm 72, it's just not a stretch to say that God cares for people's needs and that He wants to provide for people. So, asking Him to help is totally in line with God's heart. So, pray. Pray with them if your faith isn't at that point yet. Pray for them and tell them you're praying. If you're not at that point, pray with your connect group. Just pray, 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 and see God do the work. Finally, if you're able to, help them, meet their needs yourself. Show that you care for these people with a kind word and with action. Invite them to dinner, take a meal to them, offer to help with budgeting. I don't know. You know your own strengths and you know what you can do. And I'd encourage you to use it to help people. In the New Testament, a guy called James, he puts it this way. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you prays for them and says, oh man, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, and but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So, let's be people that care, let's be people that pray, let's be people that help. Um, could I grab the band up, please? I'm going to finish with a story, and uh, I wish I had a better story because this story kind of makes me look dumb, um, but honestly, I, I'm, I learned something from this, and so I'm hoping that you'll learn something too. So, I, like many of you, shop at Pack and Save, and there I was, putting the groceries into the car, um, and a shabby guy comes up to me, and he says, and like any person under the age of 30, I say, what? I'm pulling my earphone out here. Um, and he says, oh, my mom's in hospital in the VIN, blah, 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 blah. I need petrol to get there, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, so I, uh, I'm at Pack and Save, and I'm looking past him at the petrol pumps, and I'm like, oh, is your car over there? And he's like, no, no, it's at Caltex. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, in retrospect, that's a bit weird. I don't know why he'd walk all the way from Caltex to Pack and Save. 
this is fine, this is fine. And, and so I'm halfway through saying what I always say, which is, I don't have any cash. Because who has cash? I don't even pull my card out of my wallet. I just sort of let the wireless do its thing through the wallet, and it, and it goes. It works, man. Uh, but then I remembered, I actually did have cash. This was a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. Um, a friend had given me some petrol money, and so I had 20 bucks. And I was like, oh, here you go, man. I've got, I actually do have cash. Here's, here's 20 bucks. And then, uh, of course, he says, oh, do you just have 10 more so I can get you? Like, look, this, is, this is all the cash that I have and will have all year. Like, this is what you got. And so in gratitude, he says, right, this will do. And speed walks away. <laughs> kind of things. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, driving home, I'm like, nah, the chances of this guy's mom being in hospital are low. Uh, but I felt like God said to me that, like, hey, that's between that guy and me. That's between that guy and God. But between me and God, like, I saw his need, I met it as best I could, and I, I got to just be okay with that. You know, it says somewhere in the Bible that uh, God is kind to, like, the wicked and the ungrateful. Um, and so, for me, for Chris, I'd, I'd done my bit, and it was up to God to do the rest. Let's pray. God, thank you that you care, that you care deeply about each one of us, um, that you want us to follow you. Um, Father, we pray that you would um, help us to enact your kingdom of justice and righteousness and of, of caring for people, for their blood being precious in your sight. Help us to work that out in our lives each day. Um, we pray that you would bring people into our lives um, and that as we work, as we pray, that we would see you do the work. Father God, thank you that you love us and we love you back. Amen. Amen.